Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with CAT Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante, imagination, innovation, science in action. University of California researchers have released two new studies to help Central Coast growers estimate costs and potential returns for both organically and conventionally produced apples. The studies focus on processing apples, not fresh market apples. Apples are grown for processing on the Central Coast and are mostly pressed for juice and sparkling cider. The cost studies model a management scenario for a 100-acre farm, 20 acres of which are planted to mature orchards that produce apples for processing. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is spending nearly $28 million to support organizations that teach and train beginning farmers and ranchers, including programs for U.S. veterans who are entering into agricultural careers and starting new farming businesses. The funding supports the National Institute of Food and Agriculture's Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. The effort to support young agriculturalists comes as one-third of the 3.4 million U.S. farmers are over the age of 65. A $50,000 donation from the Cordopassi Family Foundation is supporting an apprenticeship program for students growing olives and producing olive oil. The Olea Learn program, administered by the Olive Center at the University of California, Davis, is also supported by olive farmers and producers. The program teaches students in field management, irrigation practices, and pest control while providing hands-on experiences taking care of the olive trees at the Wolfskill Experimental Orchards in winters. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey is in with the latest on cotton harvest. We have reached 77% of the U.S. cotton harvested by November 19th, significantly ahead of the five-year average of 71%. This is the second year in a row we've seen a pretty quick cotton harvest. Last year at this time, we were at 78%. Of the 15 reporting states, seven of them achieved double-digit harvest progress during the week ending November 19th led by California, which got off to a a very slow start on harvest due to late maturation. But they jumped this week from 55 to 75 percent harvested, coming closer to the five-year average of 81 percent. Other states besides California that did have that double-digit harvest progress for the week scattered across the country, and that list includes Alabama, Arizona, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Texas, our number one production state, Texas, jumping from 56 to 68 percent harvested. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. The California Department of Food and Agriculture, along with the State Board of Food and Agriculture, will be hosting the first of five public listening sessions to receive comments that will help define regenerative agriculture for state policies and programs. 
A listening session will be held on December 6th. It begins at noon. As interest in regenerative agriculture continues to grow, they are seeing the introduction and evolution of the term in California policies and programs. The California State Board of Food and Agriculture is an advisory body to the governor and CDFA secretary is positioned to advise on how the state's farmers, ranchers, and consumers may be best served by agricultural policies in the state. Incorporating a definition of regenerative agriculture for state policies and programs provides a science-based criterion for the designation or recognition of the term regenerative and agriculture-related policies of the state. By defining regenerative agriculture and its associated practices, they are working to formalize holistic methods of farming that are designed to protect, sustain, and enhance natural resources on farms and farming communities throughout California. The public listening sessions will help to inform the state board's process to help provide recommendations on a definition of regenerative agriculture. Updates on the public listening sessions and the process for defining regenerative agriculture are available on the CDFA website. At its recent board meeting, the newly elected California Avocado Commission Board of Directors named current CAC Vice President of Industry Affairs and Operations, Ken Melban, and Vice President of Marketing, Terry Spling, as co-executive leaders of the organization, effective immediately. Melban joined the commission in 2011 as Director of Issues Management. He was promoted to Vice President of Industry Affairs in 2015 and to Vice President of Industry Affairs and Operations in 2022. He spearheaded the expansion of the California avocado export program persisting to secure market access to china in 2020 after nine years of process and negotiation splain was hired in march of 2023 to be the organization's new vice president of marketing since joining the commission splain developed a new strategic plan and approach to marketing communications led the search for a new agency of record and reorganized the marketing staff he has more than 30 years of sales and marketing experience in the food service and retail channels Radicchio Harvest has started in Lagrand, and everything looks really good, according to Mark Marcini of J. Marcini Farms. He said they had a very good growing season with normal temperatures and everything was planted on time. Its three varieties of radicchio will continue to be harvested for three months, after which it will then move into storage, which goes through March. Winter is a time when radicchio shines. The quality has been really good, so now they're going to have plenty of radicchio from the U.S., according to Marcini, adding this year that it has increased acreage and is seeing strong yields. As for demand this season, it's picking up and has been since the middle of summer and is exceeding expectations. Meanwhile, pricing is similar to last year and is likely to stay steady. It won't go to the extremes of last year. It's got to be almost double the price by early spring, late winter because of supply issues. He says he does not foresee that happening this year. Radicchio has really been consistent in pricing. Looking ahead as part of its more colorful Radicchio production, Marcini is also harvesting its Castelfranco, one of the mildest Radicchio varieties that are also known as Edible Rose, and it will also begin harvest of its Radicchio Rosa or Pink Radicchio early next year. That will go until the end of February. None of the U.S. almond industry leaders are likely to argue that 2023 has been a usual or easy year or that the year ahead isn't filled with challenges. Looking ahead, outgoing Almond Board of California President and CEO Richard Waycott said that statistically speaking, it's too early to put out any final numbers, although they are slowly mounting up to a crop estimate for this year of 2.6 billion pounds. That is comparable to, in fact, almost to the pound, the same amount of production they had in the 2022 harvest. So the outlook for the crop is roughly the same as last year despite the delayed harvest caused by the weather phenomenon that were impacted by economic conditions. 
As for 2024, he says, taking into consideration all confounding factors that have befallen the world in recent years, especially the world of agriculture, the growth in population, more disposable income for the middle class, a focus on healthier foods. These things portend well for the almond industry in general, according to Waycott. There are many adverse factors as well that have appeared to begin to mitigate 20 years of unstoppable growth, he said. While it's hard to pinpoint a single factor as the straw that broke the camel's back, the industry cost increases have been unprecedented. He said his internal optimism still believes California is the ideal place to grow tree nuts and they have an innovative industry. He says they recently wrapped up meetings up and down the valley, and while the general tone was somber in terms of the current situation, it was also very forward-looking. What do they have to do on top of what they've already done to take things to the next level? That is fraught with problems they haven't had to deal with. He says his internal optimism still believes California is the ideal place to grow tree nuts, and it is an innovative industry. They, these beetles are, um, you know, little, little tiny beetles. It's about, you know, five millimeter, which is about one tenth of an inch, uh, about that long. Um, it's a, it's a tiny beetle, but they, the adults basically are active more during the hollow split time. It, so it kind of goes together with the navel worm. Jalendra Rajal, UCCE IPM advisor, discussing the most recent pest almond growers will need to be on the lookout for, the Carpophilus beetle. This pest was recently found infesting almond and pistachio in the San Joaquin Valley and is recognized as one of the top two pests of almond production in Australia. Damage occurs when adults and larvae feed directly on the kernel, causing reductions in both yield and quality. This is Carpophilus truncatus. It's a, it's a, we generally call Carpophilus beetle now because we have some other beetle species within the same um, same genus, but we call its different name for those. So this one we call Carpophilus beetle uh, for now, which is technically it's a Carpophilus truncatus. It's a, it's an invasive pest. Now we're finding out. Um, in terms of the damage, um, so uh, based on the Australian work and based on my experience looking at uh, in multiple orchard that we found this beetle, um, they these beetles are um, you know little, little tiny beetles. It's about you know five millimeter, which is about one tenth of an inch, uh, about that long. Um, it's a it's a tiny beetle. But they, the adults basically are active more during the hollow split time. It, so it kind of goes together with the navel worm. And in Australian cases, caramoth. Um, and uh, they go and lay eggs on the, on the nut meat, basically on the cell of the, of the, of the fruit uh, of almonds. And so um, we don't know exactly in terms of the, sometimes I've seen the many times, all the, all the fruit that I collected from the almonds, I've seen the holes and somewhere in that suture line of the cell. And based on the, some of the literature, I believe those are the ones that beetle chew in and go in legs. And that's how the larva will be able to eat and, um, inside the nut meat. And so during the hollow split time, right. And so, Basically, kind of again, similar to the navel worm story, where larva goes in and feed on the nut meat, uh, pretty much finish all the nut meat white content, 
uh, and make it uh, sort of like a white powdery mess, basically. Um, and many times I have seen they uh, still have the skin of the nut meat is still intact, but when you rip it off, that's how you see the kind of all white dust powder, which is a mixture of the nut meat powder as well as their frass, which is also kind of like more creamy whitish color frass, these beetles uh, and the larva heads. So um, yeah, you can see that in a nut meat and, and many times I've also looked at larva in there, multiple larva, and it's, it's a tiny, very small larva. I mean, of course they go in different stages, um, but uh, some of them are really tiny and it's just mixed with this white powdery stuff. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you won't be able to find them um, in, in many instances. And sometimes, other times I've also seen the larva and then the also beetle from the nut meat from the middle that's just coming out, three or four beetles just come out. So basically they're both larva and, and beetle can feed on the nut meat and, and make that damage. So, um, I mean, if you looked at that, it's kind of similar to navel one jump, right? And so when you have this damage by the beetle and when you have the navel one jump kind of more or less similar, and if you, in majority of the cases, we don't know this is a new thing. So grower, pest control advisor, other field technician, they don't know um, about this beetle. So in that case, it's very easy to, you know, mixed with or not knowing it's a, it's a beetle. Uh, and usually we kind of, maybe it's a navel one gem damage or, and, or ant damage. Sometimes it looks like ant damage. Um, uh, but yeah, it, but once you know it, it's distinct uh, and you'll be differentiated. One point I want to add also is that um, you can also have on top of that navel orange gem on the same nut. So when you they have they have you have navel orange gem, it's much more noticeable, a lot more brownish frass also mixed with that, a lot more wavings. So if you see that, you just kind of call it navel orange damage. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the nature of the of the direct attack on nut meat, and that's how they they do the damage on the um, seasonal crop. As Rajal mentioned, the size of the beetle makes it fairly difficult to identify, and additionally, there are more than one species of Carpophilus beetle present in California. The working theory as of now, Rajal said, is if growers see a beetle emerging from the nut, is most likely Carpophilus truncatus. This is the only species they go directly on the nut meat and directly actively feeding on the nut meat. Um, and so when you see there's something coming out from there, um, either a beetle or if you see the larva, and that would be the definitely the indicator of the Carpophilus truncatus. Uh, um, so once we start looking at it, uh, once you look at, go in more detail, understanding it, there might be some other things might change, but that's my impression so far uh, is that there are no other beetles or the Carpophilus go actively on this uh, fresh nut and cause direct damage. Of course, there are, you know, they are store fruit, dry fruit, beetle, right? So they go after the dry fruit or the, you know, overripe fruit and those kind of things, but not like uh, attacking directly on the nuts like pistachio, almonds, or walnuts uh, directly, uh, kind of more or less similar to the way that navel them does. More info can be found about the Carpophilus beetle on the UCANR blog. 
and on the November 17th episode of the My Ag Life podcast. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Chalstrom. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. The Farmer Business Network is a farmer-to-farmer network that includes a data platform where farmers can view prices and purchase inputs and get help with insurance and loans, including purchasing and refinancing Agland. Daniel English, Farmer's Business Network General Manager, highlights trends in Agland pricing. You know, the great thing is farmers' incomes have been up the last couple of years. This year it'll be down a little bit compared to last year, but certainly much better than you saw in 2017, 2018, etc. And that's meant a great cash position for a lot of farmers. And so when lands come up for sale, a lot of bidders um, driving prices up. What we've seen and heard a little bit anecdotally now is in these big auctions, there's maybe two or three buyers where before there was five, six, seven folks who were willing to pay a lot. And so we expect there may be a little bit of softening, but overall, you know, strong income, strong balance sheets right now. I expect prices to stay, stay pretty steady. English says that the real estate prices have gone up for farmers in all parts of the country. As for who is doing the purchasing? The marginal buyer in a lot of these auctions is still going to be a U.S. farmer. If farmers are looking for Agland, FBN has a tool to help. We have our AcreVision platform. Farmers can log on there. It's free on our website. It's designed and built for farmers. And they can see comparable sales in their neighborhood. Six states, we have an FBN estimate that will give an estimate of what their land is worth. For more information, log on to FBN.com. A pair of Iowa trucking companies are accused in a federal civil lawsuit of conspiring to fraudulently bring in guest workers under the H-2A program to work as long-haul truckers instead of temporary workers on a farm operation. The lawsuit was brought recently by the group's Farm Worker Justice and Iowa Legal Aid in the U.S. District Court for Northern Iowa on behalf of Carol Hanicom, a 59-year-old H-2A guest worker from South Africa. The case was first reported in the Iowa Capital Dispatch. According to the complaint, Kuchenbecker Excavating Incorporated and H&S Farms Livestock LLC operated by Kenneth Kuchenbecker and his daughter Heather Smith and another defendant, Steve Robinson, are accused of using a company called Golden Opportunity International to bring in H-2A workers to the town of Rake, Iowa to work on a livestock operation, even though the lawsuit claims the companies had no livestock and were strictly trucking companies. Kuchenbecker Excavating and H&S Farms also both operated out of the same location and shared workers. Farmworker Justice and Iowa Legal Aid allege Kuchenbecker businesses have fraudulently passed themselves off as agricultural enterprises, although in reality they operate exclusively as trucking companies. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is seeking new ways to help specialty crop producers. Farm News reporter Michael Clements shares more. USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service recently announced improvements to the Specialty Crop Competitiveness Initiative. Dave Salmonson, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Government Affairs Director, explains the effort. This is meant to bring in comments and input from the producers, all kinds of stakeholders in the specialty crops industry, and how USDA can better support the industry in remaining competitive in both domestic and international marketplaces, focusing specifically on the specialty crops area 
So they want to hear from stakeholders about how they can better help them in marketing their products and increasing consumption. USDA a few weeks ago also announced the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program. And this program, which is going to be about $1.3 billion to help do more for overall U.S. ag exports, but it's also going to have a specific emphasis on specialty crop industries across the country to help diversify export markets. So get them to expand export opportunities, more work for promotion programs, basically bring more attention to U.S. grown specialty crops in world markets. And over the last month, USDA and the U.S. Trade Representative announced a new seasonal and perishable agricultural products advisory committee. And it will focus primarily on trade factors that are influencing U.S. seasonal produce producers with a special emphasis on the southeastern U.S. There has been a lot of discussion about Mexican imports affecting Florida, Georgia, states in the southeast over the last few years. And this is a new committee to take an in-depth look into those issues and advise both USTR and USDA. Michael Clements, Washington. Sunworld International has announced it has added eight importers to its panel of North American licensees. These include Canada Wide Fruits, Direct Source Marketing, Flavor Farms, Fresh Latina, International Produce Group, Pandal Brothers, Sobreco International, and Sunfresh International. The appointments further expand the company's licensed importers to 28 companies. The new importers join a distinguished list of Sunworld licensed importers in North America, according to the company. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.